Welcome back to the Divine Lantern. I pray this week has been good to you. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm your host, Jonathan, from Akoi, our Antiochian Christian Orthodox youth in New South Wales. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Khuriyerita Mawal, who'll be delivering the first part in a five-part series on establishing our kingdom at home. She touches on tasks she partakes in at home that bring her and her family closer to God, one of which is fasting. For those who are unaware, Great Lent commenced this week, meaning we abstain from certain foods and actions as we prepare for Easter, and it's never too late to start your journey. We'll then conclude the podcast with a reading from the Book of Everyday Saints. So thanks for joining us, and let's get into it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would like to start by thanking His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios for his blessing in allowing me the opportunity to be a part of this amazing podcast that has been enriching us for over a year. To those of you who don't know me, my name is Khurierita Mawal, wife of Father John Mawal from St. Paul's Church Dandenong in Melbourne, and a mother to our three precious children, Katrina, Elia and Sophia. Growing up, I watched my grandmother and mother share and pass down wonderful church traditions that I dreamed of recreating when I get married. So when I was asked to participate in this wonderful series, Creating a Domestic Church, I couldn't help but feel a little excited because it's a topic that is so dear to my heart and now it's my turn to pass on these meaningful traditions to my own children, praying that they would do the same with their children, God willing, one day. A few traditions for our domestic church that I love and would like to share with you all in today's podcast are lighting vigil lamps and burning incense, the use of holy oil and holy water, fasting and praying to special saints for their intercessions. Some of you may ask, why do we light vigil or oil lamps in our churches and homes? The flame that burns is a reminder to us that God is the light of the world, who illumines our souls. St. Nikolai says, In order to remind us of the radiant character of the saint, before whose icon we light the vigil lamp, for saints are called sons of light, just like Jesus taught his disciples. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. That's why it is important to light vigil lamps, in front of Christ and the saints, as it is a way for us to seek their intercession. I read something very beautiful which has stayed in my mind for many years. When lighting a vigil lamp, it is a reminder for you to stand still and pray. But what's more unique is that after you've said your prayer and continue with your day, it does not mean that your prayers have ceased but that your vigil lamps serve as your prayer's unceasing presence before God, even if your body is absent and your mind is occupied. It has become such a fulfilling responsibility for me to light the vigil lamps, not just for my family, but on behalf of those in need of prayer. Quite often, Father John will ask me to light a vigil lamp for someone in need. Without knowing the reason, as God knows what each one of us has need, 
Nonetheless, I light and present the vigil lamp to Christ and his mother, seeking their intercession for that person. So how do you light an oil lamp? You will find many beautifully decorated glass cups, brass stands with a cup inside, or some that you can hang in front of your icons that you can purchase from monasteries and churches, or you can simply decorate or use a glass cup from home. First, you need to add about a centimetre of water in the bottom of the cup. Then you add the oil to the brim. I personally use vegetable oil as I find it lighter than olive oil and the wick stays afloat. Then you get yourself a floaty and thread the wick through the centre. Light the wick and place it in front of an icon or your collection of icons and don't forget to stand still and say a prayer. This actually reminds me of another story I would love to share with you that affirms the significance of vigil lamps. There was a small village in northern Greece that had gone through a very difficult time while it was under the Bulgarian occupation in 1942, with many suffering from disease and famine. There in the city of Drama lived a widow with her five children, and although she was a faithful lady, was a little concerned about the small amount of flour and oil left in her kitchen. On the eve of the Annunciation, she knew it would be right to fill the oil lamp that was placed in front of the icon of the Annunciation. However, with only enough oil to make some bread to feed her children, she found herself in a difficult position. Does she use the oil to fill the vigil lamp or does she feed her children? She decided to fill the lamp and said to the Theotokos, My all-holy mother, I shall light the vigil lamp because the day which is breaking is of great significance to our faith. However, you take care and feed my children. After attending the divine liturgy the next morning, she returned home to find that her oil can was filled to the brim. Two bags of flour and spaghetti were left in her pantry. For two years, the oil can did not empty, neither did the flour and spaghetti. Since that day, the vigil lamp remained lit day and night, revealing the blessed woman's faith with its everlasting light. Not only should we light oil lamps in our home, but it is befitting to burn incense. These two practices go hand in hand and are a significant element in our church. I remember waking up every Sunday morning to the sweet smell of incense. My mum would be the first to wake up, get ready and walk around the house burning the incense, venerating all the icons and chanting a hymn to the Theotokos before we went to church. The burning of incense is an offering to God, so as we see the smoke travelling upwards towards heaven, we hope our prayers will do the same. As the psalm that is chanted in Vespers says, Let my prayer be set before you, as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice, Hear me, hear me, O Lord. So after I got married, we made it a regular practice to incense our home, starting off in our prayer room, moving our way through the whole house. So let me take you step by step through the process of how we burn incense and venerate our home. Father John and Elia will gather all the supplies, the hand sensor, the coal, tongs and incense, while the girls and I wait for them at our prayer corner 
which is positioned at the entrance of our home. Once the incense is burning, they meet us at our prayer corner and we start chanting, usually a hymn to the Mother of God, followed by Traparians of our patron saints or the feast day that we are celebrating. Moving from room to room, the hand sensor is passed to each child so they can incense their beds and their personal prayer corners, making the sign of the cross in each room. Our Archdiocese has just published a pamphlet with special prayers that can be read while incensing your home. Another tradition that I love and rely on is using holy oil and holy water in our everyday life. Oil is referred to frequently in both the Old and New Testaments for healing and anointing. The practice of anointing with oil is still recognised today in our church in the mystery of baptism, holy unction and at all-night vigil services on the eve of important feasts. In our home, we keep small bottles of holy oil in our prayer corner where we can anoint ourselves with the sign of the cross. This anointing is usually done on the individual's forehead and is used for the same reason for which holy water is used, to heal our infirmities. Not only do we use the holy oil from the holy unction service, but we also use oil that has been taken from the oil lamps burning in holy places, where saints are buried and in front of miraculous icons. As we use holy oil for healing, we also use holy water for the sanctification of our soul and body. I always keep a bottle of holy water from the Theophany service in our fridge that I frequently top up to make certain that we have enough for the year ahead, where I can give three sips to our children in the name of the Holy Trinity. If they are unwell or feeling anxious before a big event, such as a test or handing in an assignment. I even add a few drops of holy water in their water bottles for protection and not just their bottles of water, but I add a capful to my cooking for an extra blessing. So as we approach Great Lent, I would like to briefly touch on fasting. This is another tradition that has been passed down to us from Christ himself. He has not only fasted, but taught his disciples to fast and he showed them how great of a weapon fasting is, especially when he vanquished Satan from the wilderness and taught us that through fasting we are able to overcome our passions. When our children were still young, we explained to them the meaning and why we fast and started them off by asking them to give up something they like, so they chose to give up sweets. Then the following year, they decided they wanted to give up watching TV as well as sweets. Once they were old enough to start the traditional fast and with a blessing from our spiritual father, they abstained from eating meat and dairy only on Wednesdays and Fridays through Great Lent. Gradually, they worked their way to participating in all the fasts the church has put in place for us. Even outside of the fasting season, I often refrain from meat and dairy for a few days or up to a week as a thanksgiving to my prayers being answered. The last tradition I would like to share today, and one of my favourites, is praying to saints and seeking their intercession for a special purpose. The ultimate goal of mankind is to imitate God and live the life of deification. This is why we look to the saints and the example of their lives for strength and encouragement, and why we continue to pray to them 
to intercede on our behalf to our Lord. As St. John Chrysostom says, we should seek the intercessions and the fervent prayers of the saints because they have such boldness before God. In the Orthodox Church, we have hundreds of saints whom we call upon for special purpose or in times of need. Like St. Luke the Surgeon, we call upon him for healing of our body. He has stood by us and by many others during surgeries or illnesses. We may call upon St. Irene Chrysovalanto for her intercession to those wanting to start a family or those who may have some challenges conceiving. St. Nicholas has travelled with my family and I when we went on a cruise ship as he is known to pray and protect sea travellers. Even when I went on job interviews, St. Xenia came along with me in my handbag. And one saint that I call upon daily in the kitchen for his guidance is St. Euphrosenios the cook. And the list goes on and on. There are a few saints that have a special place in our hearts, like St. Fanurios. He is known to help find lost possessions and also helps people find their path. He has helped our family on many occasions and in return as a thanksgiving to his prayers, I make a special bread and distribute to families. The recipe and tradition was passed down from my grandmother. Also to celebrate his feast day on the 27th of August, I bake a special cake in his honour. Just like what we do for St Basil, we honour him on the 1st of January, whereby the kids and I bake a cake and insert a coin in the batter. The reason why we do this is because one year, during a famine, the emperor imposed a heavy tax on the people of Caesarea. It was that great on the people that they had to relinquish all their jewellery and coins. Learning of this injustice, St. Basil took his staff and gospel and demanded that the emperor repent, which he did. St. Basil was then faced with a dilemma as he was left with all the coins and the jewellery, not knowing what amount belonged to who. So he baked all the treasures in one huge cake and called the people to pray at the cathedral. After the divine liturgy, he blessed the cake and gave a piece to each person. Miraculously, everyone received in his piece their own valuables. There are more traditions that we have adopted in our home, but these are a few that I wanted to share with you today. I pray that you keep these traditions alive in your homes and teach your children to recreate the ones that I have mentioned in today's podcast and more. Thank you, Khuriya, for joining us today on The Divine Lantern, and we look forward to the next part. And now to a series of readings from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. Corruption is generated by the flesh. To feed, to excrete, to stride about and to sleep are the natural characteristics of beasts and wild animals. Acquiring these characteristics through the fall, we have become beast-like, losing the natural blessings bestowed on us by God. We have become brutal instead of spiritually intelligent, ferine instead of godlike. Saint Gregory of Sinai Even if you are not what you should be, you should not despair. It is bad enough that you have sinned. Why in addition do you wrong God by regarding him in your ignorance as powerless? 
Is he who for your sake created the great universe that you behold, incapable of saving your soul? And if you say that this fact, as well as his incarnation, only makes your condemnation worse, then repent, and he will receive your repentance as he accepted that of the prodigal son. St. Peter of Damascus Prayer is the energy which accords with the dignity of the intellect. It is the intellect's true and highest activity. Evagrios the Solitary On March 13 in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate our fathers among the saints Nikephoros, Patriarch of Constantinople, and Bishops Poplius and Marios. On this same day, the first Sunday of the fast, we make remembrance of the restoration of the holy and venerable icons, which took place through the ever-memorable sovereigns of Constantinople, Michael and his mother Theodora, during the Patriarchate of Saint Methodius the Confessor. I rejoice as I see them fittingly reverence the icons formerly unfittingly banished. This restoration was accomplished in the year 842. Theodora's husband was an iconoclast. After his death, Theodora venerated an icon of the Theotokos in front of Patriarch Methodios. The other faithful in the church did the same, venerating all the icons, considering them to be representations of their original elements, not idols. Theodora prayed to God to forgive her husband during the first week of Great Lent, and on the first Sunday of the fast, she led the way in hanging up the icons to adorn the churches. O invariant icon of the Father, through the intercessions of thy holy confessors, have mercy on us. Amen. Did you know that repentance means to change your mind? We venerate your holy image, loving Lord, asking forgiveness of our failings, Christ our God. For of your own free will you consented to be raised in the flesh unto the cross to deliver your creation from Satan's servitude wherefore in thanksgiving we cry out to you you have filled all things with gladness our Savior in Did you know that repentance means to change your mind? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are the very first words of Jesus Christ as he emerges from the desert and begins his ministry in Galilee. We should therefore heed this call to repentance. But what does repentance really mean? Most often, repentance is simply defined as feeling guilty about the sins one has committed. 
Although guilt may play an important role in the process of repentance, it is only part of a much bigger picture. To get a better understanding of what repentance really is, we should look at the original Greek word. The Greek word often translated into repentance is metania. Metania is composed of two words, one, meta, which means to change, and two, nous, which has no appropriate English translation, but may be described as the eye of the heart, which allows us to perceive spiritual realities and truths. Thus, metania is to change the eye or mind of the heart. Repentance, as we have said, is not just a feeling of guilt, but the act of turning towards God. Perhaps the most iconic image of repentance presented to us in the Holy Scriptures is that of the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son, who prematurely claims his inheritance, abandons his father and leads a life of sin, eventually comes to himself. He resolves to return to his father, acknowledging that he has sinned against him and against heaven, and that he is no longer fit to be called his son. The repentance of the son did not merely involve a feeling of remorse, but was accompanied by the action of returning to his father's house. The father, seeing his son from afar, runs towards his son and embraces him. The same promise of loving forgiveness is offered to us by our heavenly father. St. Isaac the Syrian once said, This life has been given to you for repentance. Do not waste it in vain pursuits. Thus, the Orthodox Church teaches us that repentance is the purpose of our lives. We are called to live a life of repentance. For as many times as we sin or miss the mark, we are called to reorient ourselves towards Christ. Repentance is itself a gift from God, which we must also cultivate ourselves. For we are God's fellow workers. Now, although there is much that can be said of repentance, for it is the purpose of our lives, let us humbly begin repenting. This is orienting our entire being to God by praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Everyday Saints and Other Stories by Archimandrite Tichon The Theologians One day, a young seminary graduate came up to Father John and without even bothering to introduce himself said, I am a theologian. Father John was quite surprised by this and asked, Really? The fourth one? What do you mean by the fourth one? asked the confused seminarian. Father John explained, in our church, we know of three theologians. The first was John the theologian, the apostle and beloved disciple of our Saviour. The second was Gregory the theologian, of Nanzenius. And the third was Simeon, the new theologian. In its entire 2,000-year history, the Holy Church has only granted these three men the title of theologian. So are you the fourth? From where does God send us his wisdom? The wind bloweth where it listens, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it comes, and whither it goes, so it is with all born of the Spirit. Once we were on tour with our Stratensky Monastery Choir in the Russian Far East at a military base for the Strategic Air Force. 
after services and a concert, the officers invited us to dinner. This was the first Russian Orthodox service that had been heard in this distant military outpost in a very long time. Naturally, everybody looked at us extremely unusual. Before the meal, like all good Christians, we said grace by uttering the Lord's Prayer. Praying together with us and crossing himself was a highly respected and decorated general. Two hours later, as the meal was ending, the officers approached the general. Comrade General, we notice that you cross yourself. We all respect you, but we do not understand. Maybe with your long experience you have realised something that we have not thought about yet. Perhaps you might want to share with us some of your knowledge gained from long years of learning, or impart some of your wisdom to us. Tell us, what is the main thing in life? What is the meaning of life? Naturally, such questions are only asked having spent a long time with one another in intimate company, Russian style, with utter trust and goodwill. The general, a grizzled army veteran, thought for a bit and then replied, The main thing in life is to keep your heart pure before God. I was amazed. This was the sort of thing that only a really outstanding theologian would say. Someone who was both a thinker and a practitioner. But I don't believe that this army general guessed my amazement in the least. The point is that priests have a lot to learn, and indeed a lot to be ashamed of sometimes in comparison with people who might at first glance seem to be very remote from the study of theology. At one point during negotiations for the reunion of the Russian Orthodox Church abroad, begun by Russians in the diaspora after the Russian Civil War, with our Russian Orthodox Church, the Moscow Patriarchate, Archbishop Mark of Germany and Great Britain, told me about an incident that led him to believe that the spiritual changes in our country were not propaganda, but a reality. He was in a car in Moscow province with a priest. Archbishop Mark is a German. He was not used to cars racing at 140 kilometers per hour when the road signs clearly marked the speed limit at 90 kilometers per hour. His nerves put up with this for a long time, but finally he delicately asked the priest who was driving him about the discrepancy. The priest merely snorted at the remark of the naive foreigner and assured him that everything was just fine. But what if the police stop you? The Archbishop was very concerned. There will be no problem with the cops, the young priest reassured his amazed guest. And sure enough, sometime later, they were stopped by a traffic cop. The priest rolled down the window and casually called out to the young policeman cheerfully. Good afternoon, boss. So sorry, we're in a hurry. But the policeman had no reaction to this greeting. Your documents, he barked his command. Oh, come on, boss. The priest was getting nervous. Can't you see we're in a hurry? Your documents, please, the policeman repeated insistently. The priest was upset and ashamed to be shown up in this manner before his guest, but there was nothing he could do. He handed over his driver's license and car registration to the policeman, but could not refrain from adding sarcastically, here, take them, your job is to punish and ours is to forgive. The policeman looked him over coldly and then said, First of all, it is not we who punish, but it is the law. Second, it is not you who forgive, but the Lord God. It was then that Archbishop Mark realised that even if a policeman on a provincial Russian road could reason in this manner, 
than in the mysterious land of ours that cannot be comprehended by the mind alone. Everything had truly changed once again. Thank you again for listening in. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast provider so not to miss any of our future episodes and make sure you tell your family and friends. Don't forget that this week as we begin the Lenten period there'll be numerous services held at your local parish so please be sure to check with them on services and times. For all other Archdiocese information please follow us on your social platforms by searching Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese Australia. Have a lovely week.